You're listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, in following politics, there are two cliches that I'm used to hearing. The first is that all politics is local, and the second is that the only poll that matters is the one on election day. That is, of course, votes cast at the ballot box. And with those two things in mind, I thought this week would be a very useful uh, time to focus on next week's local elections. Now, I'm not an expert on local elections, but fortunately, I know a man who is. And I'm joined this week by returnee to Polling Matters, Professor Colin Rawlings of the University of Plymouth. Now, Colin will need no introduction to most of you listening to the podcast. Um, But to those of you that he does, um, Colin is one half of the sophological double act uh, Rawlings and Thrasher. So that's with his colleague, Michael Thrasher at the University of Plymouth. And uh, Rawlings and Thrasher are very well known in Westminster circles and beyond. Um, for being the foremost experts on local elections uh, in Britain. So I was very grateful to be joined by Colin this week to give his expert take on what we should be looking out for next week and what the results might mean as they come in. So the bulk of today's um, uh, podcast is going to be focusing on that conversation between me and Colin. I'll also spend a little bit of time at the end of today's show talking about the big Brexit survey. Uh, This was a survey that appeared in the eye this week, and I think it tells us a lot about what we can expect from the future of polling in the UK, and it gives us some lessons, I think, uh, for poll watchers that we must continuously learn and relearn, hopefully through listening to this podcast, in terms of how we interpret data that's out there in the public domain um, that professes to be um, sort of representative of public opinion. But we'll touch on that a bit more Um, later on. But for now, let's focus on our conversation this week between myself and uh, Colin Rawlins from the University of Plymouth. I started off by asking Colin which local uh, councils were up for election next week and what we should look out for. And here is that conversation. So I'm delighted to be joined by Colin Rawlins today to talk about the local elections. Colin, welcome back to Polling Matters. Thanks, Kieran. Great to be here. So I suppose before we get into the numbers and what, what to look out for next week, um, it probably would be, would, you, would be useful for some listeners if we reminded ourselves where these elections are actually taking place. Sure. Um, these really, are the, on the four-year cycle of local elections, these are the most urbanly concentrated set of elections that we have. Um, and really the reason for that is because they include the London local elections. That's not to be confused with the GLA, the um, London Authority Mayor and Assembly elections, but these are the London borough elections. And the 32 London boroughs contribute about 40% of all the 4,350-odd seats that are being contested um, on May the 3rd. And then when you add to that um, the vast majority of the metropolitan boroughs, that is, you know, places like Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, um, and then those county councils outside the metropolitan areas which have elections by thirds, that is, they elect a third of their councillors, three in every four years, um, they too tend to be places where towns dominate rather than the more rural parts. So these are very urban uh, slanted elections, and for that reason as well tend to be elections where Labour uh, does pretty well, even if it's not doing... Uh, spectacularly across the country, for example. So, for example, of the 150 councils that are up for election this time, just about half are under full Labour control um, and only a third under full Conservative control. And Labour is defending um, more than half of all the 4,350-odd, as I said, seats that are up 
um, for election, and the Conservatives only defending about a third of them. So I think I'm right in saying that the last time these uh, seats were up was in 2014. Is that right? So a year. That's back. right, 2014, which was the, which was interesting in two ways. One that it was held on the same day as the European Parliament elections, which meant that the elections were held over until June, um, because the government learned some years ago that having local elections followed by European Parliament elections was a recipe for lousy turnout at the European Parliament. Um, contests. And of course, if you remember back to four years ago, UKIP won the nationwide vote in the European Parliament elections, didn't do as well in the local elections, but they came a strong third in terms of share of the vote um, and got a hundred or so councillors. But their, um, their national equivalent vote, which is a sort of measure that we make um, of what a party's share would be if everywhere in the country had had elections, was nudging 20% for, for the second year running. That's UKIP. And, of course, this year we're expecting UKIP to disappear also that trace. Mm. And, of course, you're, you're very well known for your local elections uh, projections. I want to get straight into the numbers, really, but, I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you come to those projections, but also uh, for the benefit of listeners that maybe haven't seen them this year, I mean, what are your projections for the local elections next week? Sure. Um, what we've been doing now for oh, probably, that sounds horrific, isn't it? 25 years mm. or something like that, is we use the local government by-elections, which take place every week up and down the country, as the base for a sort of estimate of what they imply for the party's support nationwide using various controls because of course you know, the local government results take place in in almost random places and some will be very urban very labor others will be very rural very conservative so we have a way of comparing the results in those by-elections with what happened in those wards at the last time they had full um, council elections and then we look again at what the nationwide distribution of um, votes and share for the parties was at the same time and as a result of that, we can come to some kind of um, judgment about how those council elections um, can tell us something about the party's uh, nationwide level of support. Now, it has to be said um, that, the, that the record has been, I suppose, patchy in a way. There, there, we haven't yet discovered, there are some you know, colleagues and other institutions who have tried to come up with different ways of doing this, but nobody seems to have cracked this yet. Partly it's, of course, to do with the British um, you know, vote seats problem, that you know, share the vote doesn't always translate in a happy way into the numbers of seats. I was talking a moment or two ago about UKIP. They came third um, in the local elections in 2014, um, easily beating the Liberal Democrats, but the Liberal Democrats got three times as many seats as UKIP did, despite a much smaller share of the vote. And it's that kind of thing that always slightly um, throws, into, uh, throws into doubt these kinds of, um, these kinds of activities. But currently, um, what we're suggesting, and something that was published in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago, is that on the basis of the over 60 uh, council elections that were held, uh, have been held since the beginning of the year, um, across the country, and something like 100, 120,000 votes have been cast in those elections. The two main parties, Labour and Conservatives, each have uh, a national equivalent share of about 36%. Now, that 
tells you two things. Firstly, it says that they are neck and neck, which is much what the polls have been saying, um, although, of course, we can't be sufficiently nuanced and by-elections tend to end um, a few weeks before the local elections, so we can't take into account the particular um, issues that come up, whether it's you know Labour anti-Semitism or the government of the Windrush um, thing. But at the moment, the two parties look to be about 36% each, neck and neck, as they say, similar to what the polls are suggesting, but also different from the polls at a rather lower level, with the polls having that sort of 40% or so each. I was going to say, you know, I was going to jump in there because, I mean, your, yeah. your, your projections suggest the Liberal Democrats are on 18. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess um, to the untrained eye, someone would look at that and say, well, hang on a minute, that's that's considerably more than they are on yeah. in the national opinion yeah. polls. So yeah, what, what's yeah, the difference no, there? No, you're right. I, I, you're right, jumping. I, I was then saying, and, and that is indeed accounted for um, by the Liberal Democrats doing it seems rather better in local elections than in um, public opinion polls, Liberal Democrats still have a base of local support that has enabled them to keep, although their council numbers are actually pretty poor, the lows they've been for something like 30-odd years, but nonetheless they still have a number of councils that they control. Um, Sutton in London, for example, is one of the ones that is up for election this year at Watford, um, Three Rivers also in Hertfordshire near Watford, another Lib Dem-controlled um, council. Um, and what we have been finding in by-elections recently is that they have been um, seesawing between some really very spectacular results where they stand for the first time in a seat and get, you know, 50 odd percent of the vote and get elected. And then in other places they stand and get five or six percent of the vote, really quite a derisory uh, proportion. So we would certainly expect, and this is you know, last year, for example, in the local elections held during the general election campaign, our judgment was the Lib Dems got a national equivalent share of the vote of 19 percent. Um, they may not do quite as well as that this year, but they're certainly going to do twice as well as they do in the opinion polls, which currently suggest they're something on 7 or 8%, something of that kind. And the reason for that is because over the years, and despite the experience of the coalition, etc., etc., there are a number of voters out there who either vote live down in local elections sort of negatively, the usual plague on both your other houses idea, but also... To be fair to them, there are voters too who like what the Liberal Democrats offer in their own locality, like what they offer in general as a local party of local government, and that has helped them, you know, not completely disappear, which they might otherwise have done. But I guess, I guess what we're saying, though, if, I, if I'm reading this right, is that if the Lib Dems did get 18% of the vote, um, national equivalent vote share um, next week, we're not necessarily suggesting that that is going to follow in um, you know, a similar performance in a hypothetical general election. This is very much no, a local, no, no, local no, not, election. Not at all. How, however, you know, however, um, dear old Peter Snow, wasn't it? You know, just a <laughs> bit of fun. Um, and here we are, Liberal Democrats at 18. Of course, even if they were to get 18 in a, in a general election, it would be um, a pretty spectacular uh, recovery for them. But it, the seats votes thing would, um, would scuffle them again. And it will next week, although, you know, they'll probably get half... Um, or nearly half the vote that Labour and Conservatives do separately, 18 being half of 36. But you know they'll be they'll be lucky to get a, a fraction of the seats mm. that those two parties get. Let's talk about your um, your net seat changes projections yeah. uh, now, and then we can go on to some specific councils and areas. Sure, sure. But but um, so I've got on your projection Labour 200 up, 
Conservatives 75 down, Lib Dems 30 up, UKIP 125 down. Um, I mean, what does it? What, if those results were were the the results next week, I mean, what would that say about the parties? Do you think? I mean, is, is that? I mean, on face value, you imagine the headlines would say, you know, two hundred gains for Labour. That's a really good night for Labour. Is that the way we should see that if they're gaining two hundred seats? Yeah, but that again, that that's on that's on the assumption of the two main parties polling about the same. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the both on the 36 that I was saying mm. earlier. The problem, the problem we've had this year, and there's been an example of it today, is as I mentioned at the beginning, these elections are genuinely, genuinely dominated by what uh, by London, 40% of all seats, as I said. And we've had a poll out today um, which suggests that Labour are going to do pretty well in London, um, and, and indeed Labour have done um, above average well in London over recent, over recent general elections. So what one would expect, and this has made it rather difficult to make these judgments this year, is that um, the majority of the gains that Labour are likely to make will come in London, and the majority of the losses that the Conservatives suffer will come in London. And that outside the capital, it will be a much more even Stevens picture between the two parties. And what then will uh, contribute, it seems, to the Conservatives um, recovering from some of the losses that they uh, suffered in London. And indeed, in some places, will help Labour very marginally build on the gains that they are expected to get in London is the collapse of UKIP. Mm. Um, UKIP, as you said, um, defending 125 seats, we expect them to be effectively wiped out as they were in the local elections last year. Now, this is tricky, and this is where you know, people who don't observe these things that closely may become a little confused. What we do in our judgment of what's a gain and what's a loss is we go back to who won the seat the last time it was contested, that is in 2014. Uh, and in 2014, as I said earlier, UKIP did, um, did pretty well, um, and they are defending clearly over 100 seats. Now, many of those seats have already gone um, the way of another party because those UKIP members have either resigned and then the party has been defeated in a by-election or in many cases as well those UKIP members have defected uh, um, and suddenly become independent councillors or uh, conservative councillors and some of them indeed Labour councillors. So some of the results that we will be um, projecting um, will be picked up as Labour gains from UKIP or Conservative gains from UKIP and therefore contributing to that 200 plus for Labour, uh, 75, um, or mitigating the 75 losses for the Conservatives. Um, but it may be a little uh, difficult on the ground for people to quite see it like that. Mm. You mentioned that YouGov poll um, that came out today regarding London. It does feel like, I mean, I hate to be the guy living in Islington, Islington talking about London. It does feel a bit like one of the things you get criticised for a lot. But um, it does feel like London's going to be the story next week. Now, this this YouGov poll came out with Labour on 51% in London, uh, down three points from a similar poll in February. Conservatives on 29, up one. Lib Dems on 11, no change. Um, this was positioned by some, mentioning no names, Owen Jones, as a, a, an impendingly bad poll that was coming out for, for Labour. I mean, what, what does that poll tell us um, 
about what might happen in London next week? Indeed, well, you know, how, how, how much can it tell us? It, te- well, it, it, it tells us, um, you know, putting aside the whole you know, business of polls that we've had over the last couple of general elections, um, but it tells us that Labour are going to do well in London, as they did well in London at the last general election. Um, but it's suspect, it, 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 it um, leads us to expect that they may not um, push all before it, um, and there has been this rather um, you know, silly kind of battle of expectations that's been taking place across the parties, focusing particularly on Wandsworth and Westminster, which have been seen as uh, Tory you know, flagship authorities, um, never before, and certainly in the case of um, one of them, never before won um, by Labour. And some and Tories saying, well, of course, things are so bad, we're going to lose those authorities. Um, other people, Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, has been saying, well, of course, it would be a, um, a very impressive performance for Labour to win Wandsworth and Westminster, which in, you know, in, indeed is right. Um, and this poll suggests that Labour may now you know, fall short of winning control of boroughs like um, Wandsworth and Westminster, and even Kensington and Chelsea, which, because of the fallout from Grenville Tower, had been suggested as somewhere where Labour might do um, unexpectedly well. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that um, Labour is doing much better in London than it is across the rest of the country, um, as was seen at the general election last year. And whatever happens, the Labour majorities in places like Wandsworth and Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea are likely to be very sharply reduced so that those councils become um, very marginal. Whereas, of course, one's been used to the last 30-odd years of them being absolutely nailed on certain uh, Conservative bankers. Uh, in a way, a more interesting... And you know, we normally get a bit cross with, you know, because the media is based in London, you see, <laughs> there you are in Islington saying, well, of course, London's important. Um, well, sometimes it is. And this, and you know, there is understandable concentration on London this time. Now, perhaps we'll move on to outside London in a minute. Mm. Um, but, you know, one of the, the easiest council for Labour to win in London is Barnet. Um, which voted uh, 62% remain, uh, somewhere that Labour has never controlled, but it, it's, the, it's the most marginal London borough that, that looks uh, an opportunity for Labour to gain. But of course, what also is the case in Barnet is home to one of the largest Jewish communities in the country, and it will be interesting to see whether there's any kind of sort of backlash against Labour there. Because that's a very, mar- very marginal um, council, isn't it? I, I can't remember if Labour are maybe one or two seats behind the Conservatives. I might be getting yeah, that's up. all. No, no, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's very marginal. It, it's very marginal indeed, and it's the kind of you know, it's the it's the one where um, just two short, two seats they need a swing of a little more than one percent, mm. um, and there are there are three wards where the one percent swing would deliver it. So they only have to win two of the three, if you like. Um, so they really should win uh, Barnet if the, the if the polling evidence of their progress in London compared with four years ago is to be um, is to be backed up. Um, but it just you know the, the recent um, controversy about uh, anti-Semitism uh, just sort of slightly 
puts a question mark. Muddies the water, doesn't it? Um, yeah. You mentioned outside London. I mean, where else should we be looking outside um, London? I guess London will be a big story, but there are many, many other tens of thousands of votes being cast, aren't there? So, I mean, where, yeah, where, where are I you mean, looking outside the capital? Well, London, London will indeed be the story, as I said. The metropolitan boroughs are a bit like London because of the way their elections are held and because of the kind of places they are. Labour already controls 28 of the 34 of them. They've got elections this year. Um, they may struggle to add to that number, um, uh, possibly winning somewhere like Kirklees in West Yorkshire, possibly winning somewhere like Walsall. But, but to me, the, the most interesting thing that is going to happen is the impact of the unwind of U the UKIP support and UKIP seats, which I touched on earlier. Mm. So take somewhere like Plymouth, for example. Plymouth, when it last had local elections, uh, delivered a council where the Conservatives could form a governing group on the council if they took into their fold, as it were, the UKIP councillors. So there's a, co a coalition was formed. Um, those UKIP councillors have now become Conservatives. So they are, it is a Conservative majority council. But those UKIP now Conservative councillors are all three of them having to defend their seats, which they won in that UKIP um, tsunami in 2014. Right? And all of them are defending those seats in what are usually safe Labour wards. Mm. So the unwind of UKIP in somewhere like Plymouth looks likely to deliver a Labour council for Plymouth and lead to a defeat from the Conservatives because UKIP there was successful in Labour wards. You look down in the, um, across the country in the, sort of the east, in places like Great Yarmouth, in places like Basildon, then it's likely the unwind of UKIP is going to benefit the Conservatives. The Conservatives have already taken control in Great Yarmouth from a similar move by UKIP councillors to that in Plymouth, but there the UKIP councillors come from normally conservative wards where you would expect the conservatives to win and therefore have a formal endorsement of the of their position on the council. In Barnet, sorry, about Basildon, where UKIP won no fewer than 10 of the 14 wards that were contested in the authority in 2014, 10 of 14 won by UKIP, those are all being defended, most of them um, are in wards that in Basildon the Conservatives usually when the Conservatives just need to make three gains from those ten UKIP inverted commas defences and they will gain a council majority. So, so you see where the Conservatives can regain seats because of the fallout of UKIP, but you also see how the fallout from UKIP is not one-sided. Um, it could lead to some different sort of council changes in council control in um, in varying areas. And just one more. Um, place to mention, which I, I know people always like to sort of identify places geographically, um, the, the, the simplest and most old-fashioned place um, that we have in terms of um, a council and, and its political uh, position coming up this year is Amber Valley in Derbyshire. Uh, the Conservatives currently have control of Amber Valley by 23 to 22. Um, Labour need to win one seat from the Conservatives in marginal swing of less than 2% from 2014, and then they'll control it by 22 to 23. Nobody else on the council, no independents, no UKIP, no Lib Dems. Very simple, um, but that may provide the kind of headline, Labour direct gain from Conservative, which um, will be thin on the ground, I suspect. Mm.
Mm. I want to finish off uh, last couple of questions, um, Colin, on, on what this all means and what, what we can learn from the results as we sort of dissect them, uh, I guess, next week and the following week. Um, I mean, before we get into the potential implications for any for Downing Street, if you like, um, in your experience of looking at local elections, I mean, how much do you think this is about the bins, as it were, and how much do you think this is about the national political weather? Because it's very easy to attribute the anti-Semitism row or Windrush to what happens next week. But, you know, do you think that's right to do that? Like like all these things, Karen, it's, it's, it's a bit of each, really. But what has happened... The, Politics has, politics has, of course, changed. Well, truism, but you know, politics has changed over the last quarter of a century. Mrs. Thatcher, in both 1983 and 1987, used the local elections to judge the mood of the country before then, shortly afterwards, calling a general election. In other words, she could see where her party was doing well, where it was doing poorly, the chances of using the local elections as a, uh, as a forecast, if you will, of what's going to happen in the general election was comfortable, told by her advisers that the party had done well enough, could safely call a general election, and of course in both 83 and 87 won um, with a majority. Last year, in the local elections, the general election campaign had already been in full swing for a couple of weeks. Last year, uh, the Conservatives did very well. They were, by contrast to this year, um, the elections, so the local elections that held last year in the, largely in the county councils in England, um, were in the strongest Conservative territory, but nonetheless, the Conservatives did very well, and people from that world, oh, okay, and I remember doing it myself, um, looks like the Conservatives are nailed on for the kind of majority that she was hoping to get, 50 and above, um, and look what happened a month later. And one of the reasons for that is indeed that you're correct, is that um, perhaps a greater proportion of people now than previously do look at the bins, do look at um, local issues, do look at their local candidates and are judged um, by them. But of course, the other thing, which makes the very much more difficult to uh, use them as a projector for anything, is that fewer and fewer people have any kind of political loyalties that last more than a couple of weeks at a time. Um, so in, in Mrs. Thatcher's day, she, you know, the proportion of people who voted Conservative in the local elections were nailed on certainties to vote Conservative again in the general election, she thought, and she proved to be right, there was a very unlikely to be any kind of challenge or swing coming from people changing their minds between one party and another over a month. Now we just can't make that assumption. So it's, it's interesting in terms of showing the political weather. Um, it will be you know, taken on board by the parties. They'll either have to take a hit on the chin or they'll um, try to be triumphalist. Um, it will cause a lot of political talk and political noise within the parties, over the weekend, perhaps in the media. But in terms of the longer-term fortunes, whether it be you know, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party or Mrs May and what it tells us about support for Brexit and all the rest of it, um, I think pretty limited, really. Colin Rawlings, thank you for your time. Thanks, Karen. That was Professor Colin Rawlings there. A big thanks to Colin for joining us uh, this week and giving his expert take on next week's local elections. Just a few things to pick up on there, really, before we before we close. I think the first is, um, as Colin rightly kind of finished off by saying, is that we shouldn't overinterpret what happens next week in terms of what it means for the longer term 
political weather in Westminster. They are going to be a very interesting set of results to see how some of these demographic shifts are, are in, in London and elsewhere are manifesting themselves politically. But we shouldn't take from next week who is or is not going to win a hypothetical future or a general election that may not take place for you know, another four years or so. So I think that there is a risk that people overinterpret what happens. And given what we saw last year, where you know the 2017 local elections were very bad for um, Labour, and then they suddenly, uh, what, a month later, did much better, um, I think it's really important just to put whatever happens next week in its appropriate context. That doesn't mean that we can't learn anything from it. I think there's going to be um, uh, a story around the unravelling of the UKIP vote. Um, we, we often think of UKIP as a spent force now, don't we? And I think that's largely true. But of course, you know, with with um, these local elections that were up last in four years ago, you know, that 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 vote still has to unravel somewhat in different areas of the country. So that will be um, interesting to see. You know, which UKIP vote goes uh, to Labour, which goes to the Conservatives, and what that means for the to the political dynamics of different regions of the country moving forward. But I think the final thing I would say is, that, and this is going to be the biggest um, impact of next week's elections, I think, politically, is going to be uh, we need to keep an eye out for the spin game. Um, Colin alluded to it earlier. You know, Each party is going to see, uh, seek, as they ever do, uh, to manage expectations. Um, the Conservatives want to raise expectations for Labour as much as possible in the hope that they will um, miss out on places, on taking councils like Wandsworth and Westminster, and therefore the Tories can say, oh, this wasn't a good night for Labour. And Labour's going to be the opposite. You know, Labour are going to say, um, they're going to play things down, and any uh, council that they do take, any sort of net gain in seats that they do get, is going to be positioned as a, a really good night for Labour. Um, and also, I think it's worth um, looking at London and, and, and other areas of the country where there is a, a strong Jewish population, because, of course, the... Um, anti-Semitism row, to give it a name, it has not gone away. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon. And so um, it will. there will be plenty of eyes on the Jewish vote, in inverted commas, and, and what happens there vis-a-vis -vis Labour and Jeremy Corbyn, particularly in Labour's stronghold of London. But it certainly does look like it's going to be a very good night for Labour, certainly a good night in London. And I think, as Colin maybe alluded to a bit earlier, whether or not they fall uh, whether or not they take some of these ambitious councils like Wandsworth or not, or whether they fall just short, the trend is clear, which is that Labour are doing very, very well in our nation's capital, and that doesn't look like it's going to change any time soon. So clearly London, an area of, of, of strength for the Labour Party. But we'll be here next week, um, probably on Friday, to go over some of the initial results from the local elections um, and unpick what they mean. But again, it's important not to overinterpret what they mean in terms of um, you know Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn and who may or may not occupy Downing Street in the future. Just to close briefly, um, before we go, I wanted to talk about um, a survey that I was a little bit maybe too snarky about on Twitter a couple of days ago. This was something that caught my eye, though, because um, it's part of the reason why we do this podcast. So this was the big Brexit survey that appeared in The Independent. Um, and it caught my eye because it basically sold itself as um, as a really important survey on the basis of its size. So the headline in the eye read, Big Brexit Survey, most, votes, most voters think the UK would benefit from staying in the EU's single market. And this was, again, what caught my eye was the fact that it was positioned as authoritative on the subject and, and, and an important survey we should take note of because of its size. So the big so the I says the big Brexit survey carried out in partnership with Google surveys gathered responses from 216,787 voters uh, to key questions on Britain's future relationship with the EU. 
using an extensive network of local and regional news websites. So they used 258 news websites um, across Johnston Press, the owners of the Eye, in conjunction with Trinity Mirror and NewsQuest, so reaching readers from all corners of the UK, the Eye says. The survey took answers solely from people who said they voted in the 2016 EU referendum and then and each respondent was limited to one response per user ID. So I just wanted to read that out from the eye so you could see what they what they actually did. Now some of the results um, were striking. 56% um, of the respondents uh, said that um, Britain should stay in the European single market. So they answered yes uh, to the question. Also, do you think we should still be part of the European single market? And then 62% of those surveyed said that Brexit negotiations were going badly. So asked, um, they said no to the question, are you happy with the status of Brexit negotiations at the moment? Now, on face value, these, these, these findings may or may not be surprising to people, but I think it's really, really important that when we see surveys like this, we, we do query where they've come from, what's the survey design and methodology, and you know, how clear can we be um, that the results are representative? Because the this survey in particular seems to um, claim authority on the basis of it's got twenty two thousand respondents. Now, that uh, that is a very large sample size, very impressive sample size, but there's no obvious sign from the write up of the poll how this uh, has been made representative of the British population overall. And even if it has uh, has been, we should still bear in mind that you know these are readers of particular websites uh, online, and there are potential biases um, you know, from that that may make these uh, findings not particularly um, reliable. I would maybe not go as far to say that they're not reliable, but I think it's just important to um, be cautious about interpreting any survey that comes from anywhere that isn't a member of the British Polling Council or doesn't publish a really detailed breakdown of how the survey has been done um, before we sort of like take its, take its findings uh, uh, as the gospel truth. Um, there's lots of polling out there on Brexit, which suggests that the public remains as split as ever. There's also lots of polling that suggests um, people don't necessarily understand what the customs union and single market are. And we've tried to unpick some of those questions on this podcast um, with mixed results um, with our Polling Matters Opinion series um, on, on, on past episodes, which you're welcome to listen to. So we should be very, very cautious about leaping on findings that suggest that Britain wants to stay in the single market. I don't think we can really um, say it's as clear-cut as that and I think also you know there are trade-offs if, if we were to do that in what that would mean for things like immigration versus the economy and things like that um, that aren't really included in this poll and are relevant to public opinion on it so um, an interesting survey we, we should be open-minded about innovation in terms of how surveys are done um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poo-poo it too much but let's just be cautious about over-interpreting results if we don't have the methodology clearly in front of us. Um, and maybe, just maybe, um, polls like this aren't too relevant considering that both major political parties um, seem to want to leave a single market anyway and there's no obvious sign of the leadership of either changing on that basis or on the basis that we should stay after all. So maybe it doesn't necessarily matter, but you know, keep an eye out for... Um, new types of surveys and their methodologies because I suspect in the new technology environment in which we operate um, and particularly with journalists wanting to get their clicks we're going to see more of this sort of thing so not 100% unreliable in my view um, but just let's just be cautious about over interpreting results that seem to fit the certain editorial line of a given paper whether they're on the left on the right or elsewhere 
But anyway, that's all we've got time for for this week's politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. Um, if you like what you hear, do share us on social media as ever. It's the main way we get our voice out there. We do appreciate any likes or comments, uh, positive reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast app, um, likes of our Facebook page. All of this does really help us uh, get new listeners. And as I always bore people by saying, we're still getting new listeners today, even you know four years or so after we started. Um, and we, we very much, uh, if you are a new listener, um, welcome. Um, otherwise, you know, hit the subscribe button, tell, tell your friends about us, and hopefully we'll see you next week when we'll be unca- um, unpicking some of the local elections results. But for now, thanks for listening. Have a great week.